brought back your flyer or your pamphlet. Um, we added a little insert into it tonight for tonight's carol, which is what child is this? Um, it took me a while, but I found the version that was hiding in the deep recesses of online hymnology, and uh, it has a different, has an additional chorus. Uh, that I thought was very appropriate for our meeting tonight. And so if you got that, just a little piece of paper um, that you can add to your booklet there that we'll sing this evening. So this evening's carol, What Child Is This? Verse 1 says, What child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping, whom angels greet with anthem sweet while shepherds watch are keeping? And each verse the first two, at least, ask a question that is then answered in the chorus. And the first chorus says, This, this is Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and angels sing. Haste, haste, to bring him loud, the babe, the son of Mary. Now, that word loud is praise, to bring him honor, to, to, to revere him for what he's done. I just wanted to make that clear because my, my wife always thought as a kid that it said lard, but it's loud. So just uh, make that clear uh, for everyone singing uh, this carol tonight uh, that we'll sing together and then we'll speak on it. Uh, this famous carol, What Child Is This? What child is this who Oh, and her. 
resounding, this, this is Christ the King, um, but uh, just as much appreciative of all the verses that are mentioned there. So tonight, uh, we're going to open in prayer, and after that, we're going to speak about this uh, famous carol, and at the end of tonight's meeting, just so you have a heads up, we're going to sing tomorrow's, which is Silent Night. Uh, so we'll sing that at the end of the meeting there in your book. But before we open up the scriptures, we'll ask for God's blessing on the meeting, and we'll pray to him. Our Father in heaven, we give thanks once again for this evening in which we can all come together to be under the sound of the most glorious message that men or angels have ever heard. We thank, Lord, how privileged we are uh, to hear the good tidings of great joy all these years later, uh, and that just like the shepherds, many of us weren't ever even thinking of having uh, any desire to hear it. But we're thankful, Lord, that there was a time in our life for many of us when we heard the gospel and we responded to it. And we took your son at his word. And we also took your son as our savior. We pray, Lord, tonight that there will be many others in this meeting this evening, wherever they are, wherever they stand in light of eternity, both young and old, uh, that they too might take Christ, even as our carol says tonight, to own him. Uh, to take him as something that to leave this life without him it would be better not to have been born. And so we pray, Lord, for help as we declare him once again as the Savior of sinners. And this we ask in your Son's name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thanks for coming out tonight. We're going to speak tonight on this very well-known Christmas carol, What Child Is This? And uh, just based on those lines that are mentioned here, what child is this? And the refrain that this, this is Christ the Lord. I thought we would read um, a well-known passage in Isaiah 9 and 6. Isaiah 9 and 6. Uh, that often is referred to at this time of year. That tells us about uh, some of the very well-known names of the Lord Jesus. And we're going to read this section it's often remarked on that it was written hundreds, if not six or seven hundred years before the Lord Jesus ever came, this prophecy and the words in this chapter. So we're going to read Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. It says this, For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. We'll read that one more time. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. We know that God will add a blessing to his word. So tonight's Christmas carol, What Child Is This? Um, maybe well known to you, maybe not to everyone here, and maybe even the, the version that we've, we've sung tonight. You know, the problem with Christmas carols is that they're all seemingly over a hundred years old and like everything else, the words get switched and some things get taken away, some things get added. And it's hard to go back and say, I wonder what the original writer intended. 
And that's kind of what we're hoping to do during this meeting, is to look at what was written down years and years ago, and, and to see what their gospel, was there gospel in it? Was there truth in it? You might, um, I would invite you at the end of the week to tell me what you think is the most scripturally accurate Christmas carol. There are studies online that rank them, and they'll say, okay, jingle bells, zero percent, you know, and then they'll... They'll go down the line until you get to ones, and they'll say, oh, almost 95% of what's in that carol is scripturally accurate. And, and it's amazing. You look at some of them, and you say, that's not true. Where did they get that from? Well, a lot of the Christmas carols were telling stories, and, and sometimes there was spiritual imagination, and we would allow that, because some of our songs, sometimes we say, I don't remember reading about that. And, and uh, a lot of times it's for the imagination to be provoked. And for us to be drawn back to this um, manger scene that we have sung about and read about this evening. So, this Christmas carol, there was a, a young man, William Chatterton Dix. He was about 29 years old, and his dad was a physician, and they lived in Bristol, England. If anybody's been uh, to England, sometimes Bristol is a... Is it, is it, this kind of can be a well-known area, but Bristol, England is where they lived, and I'm sure nobody here is like this, but this young man, 29-year-old William Chatterton Dix, he seemingly always had the sniffles. He was always sick, right? You know, those people, no one really likes them. Um, always sick, never doing well, and of course, there was always an, an, uh, some type of an allergy, some type of uh, uh, an illness. Well, this was a case, it's, I don't know if it's because his dad was a doctor, but he had this issue and he took really ill though. Um, and, and it was a near-death illness, near-death sickness that put him into his bed for many months, many months. And if anybody here, on a serious note, has, has been bedridden in illness, it's very hard to fight off sadness, very hard to fight off even the onset of depression and discouragement when you're stuck inside or you're stuck in a bed because of sickness. And that was the lot of William here as he was uh, trying to recover from this near-death illness. And yet during this time, back then, there were no screens. Uh, there were no games. You know, no one was coming over to entertain you like today. And so he took to reading the scriptures. And there he was going through the scriptures that he had never done before. And, and, and just soaking it in, chapter after chapter, as he went through this time period, reading the scriptures. And it was at the end of that year, as he was about to recover, but still recovering, and, and still just trying to cope with this illness and this discouragement, that he was reading through the early parts of Matthew's Gospel, and, and reading about the birth of Christ, when he wrote down this very famous poem, poem called The Manger Throne, The Manger Throne. And he wrote this poem out, and uh, he had written some other poems and writings at this time, and they were all considered exceptional amongst all his writings. And so it was this time of illness that produced this. And thank God for it, that he was able to produce such stuff. But it was in that time period that he said he had a real spiritual awakening from reading the Bible, from reading the Bible and going through it, and he had this awakening, and these are some of the words that are preserved for us that come from his pen there in 18, 
uh, as we wrote down, around 1855 or, or later on. Uh, there's different dates, but 1865, I'm sorry. And it wasn't until, it was uh, years, years later, originally a lot of these existed as poems. It was years later that the tune that we sang tonight, that's called Green Sleeves, and if you want to find out what green sleeves mean, uh, I'll leave that to your parents to tell you, or someone else. Um, because actually, it's, uh, it's fairly, what would we say? It's like, that's something you would talk about. And green sleeves was, a, we would say, kind of a profane tune. And so very uniquely tonight, we have a very sacred text that was matched with a very, we would say, it'd be like taking a rock and roll song and taking the tune from it and pairing it with your favorite hymn. You'd say, no, we would never do that. Well, that's what was done. Green Sleeves was written about people that were, were living wild lives. And it was written back in the, the 16th century. And, and, and it was, there was nothing in it that you would ever think that would be in a church or anything in it that would be connected with the Bible. And yet, the tune, as you sung it tonight, you said, hey, that sounds nice. I kind of like that, you know? And so someone has paired, as I have said, the sacred and the profane and put them together. And here we have this great um, carol. What child is this? When you think of the tune Greensleeves, you may have heard it before. And it's in other popular uh, hymns and it's under other songs. It's, uh, it's one of those tunes that William Shakespeare mentions a couple times in his work. And actually, if you ever visit the countries of the UK or India, or South Africa, or Australia, or New Zealand, and you hear an ice cream truck go by, you would be mistaken to think that that ice cream truck is playing What Child Is This? Because you would hear that tune coming out of the loudspeaker. So very interesting. A lot of, a lot of history behind that tune that we've sung that has been put to this very well-known Christmas carol. But that being the history behind it, of what produced this great Christmas Carol, What Child Is This? I was thinking of the poem, and I was thinking of all that he wrote down here. William wrote down when he did these three verses, and, and each one, the first two, with a, a question, and then an answer. And I like that, because how many times have you had a question, and you say, will someone give me an answer, right? A, a, a lot of times you have questions, and, and, and you're thinking, where's the answer? Well, the, the writer here, William, he, he's asked the question that maybe the, the shepherds asked that night. And maybe we don't have it recorded. And, and, and he has these questions about why? Why is this like this? And, and, and why is he here? And, and what child? And the answer comes right in the chorus of the Christmas carol itself. I like that kind of question and answer. Because that's what the Lord Jesus did. Remember, the Lord Jesus, all the questions that were asked him. Think how many times people asked him whose son he was. That was over and over again. That would, that would almost aggravate you. Yet, yet our, our title here is, What Child Is This? Do you know that in the U.S., not in the U.S., in the world every year, this seems unbelievable, but it's something like one in every 1,000 babies at some point gets mistaken in the hospital. And I remember when my son was born, they put this little strap around his foot so that we would take Desmond home and not someone else. 
I'm sure someone else would have been just as happy. But, you know, you say, you say, so significant. You say, why? Because no one wants to end up and say, what child? What child is this? This is not mine. But the shepherds, when they came into that manger, as they looked at a 15-year-old girl and her husband, and they looked at two regular individuals, and they looked at one whom the angels had just brought in, that angels had just brought them to see, and talked about him, that, that he was going to bring the glory from on high. He was going to bring joy and salvation. Those shepherds had to have said, whose child is this? Can this really be their child? Because this is greater than what humanity has ever seen before. So whose child is this? And the question that is asked here has then gone on to say, what is the answer? And I ask you, Maybe not the question that the shepherds ask. But maybe just think about this as we go through our message tonight. Because as we get to the last verse here, really the question for everyone this, in, this evening that's asked in this Christmas carol is, do you want not this child, but this son? We read tonight in Isaiah 9 that a child was born, but a son was given. A son was given at Calvary. And so the question for everyone is, do you want this son? Remember the most famous and the most popular question that the Lord Jesus ever asked. The most popular question he asked in all his life and his ministry was just this. In our everyday language, he said this. What do you want? What do you want? And so when you answer that question, we're coming up on Christmas. Some of us maybe even have birthdays in December. Some of us are looking forward to holidays. And anything, but you say, what is it? If I could give an answer tonight, really, and I was, and someone could see inside my heart and inside my mind, and, and what I said had to match my heart and to match my mind. If I was to answer the question that the Lord Jesus asked the most, what do you want? Would I be able to answer also the questions that are asked in this carol, honestly, and to say, it's, it's this, this Christ. This son, the Lord Jesus. So as we look at this carol tonight, I just want to look at each, each, each stanza and the questions that are asked or some of the things that are brought out and just comment on that. And really, as I looked at each one, as I looked at the first stanza, I really wanted to talk about who, who is involved. Who's being talked about here? And number two, stanza number two, I want to talk about why. Because it talks here a lot about why. Why is he there? This mean estate. Or another way of saying, why is he in this awful place? This awful place. No baby should ever be born here. Why is he there? And the last question I want to talk about tonight is what? What is being offered? So we can look at who, why, and what. When we look at this carol, and it just talks about this child, I think of the Lord Jesus. It says, what child is this? Or who is this? You think how many times people asked him that? How many times that, that he was asked, whose son are you? There were people who looked at him and said, aren't you the carpenter's son? Aren't you the son of Mary? There were men who had been healed and they would, they would ask, are you the son of David? And they called him and addressed him that way. Remember the Lord Jesus when people were asking him questions, he was able to silence them, and he would say to them, whose son, whose son am I? 
That was the question he would ask everyone, and they wouldn't have anything else to say because they, they had no answer. And even at the cross, there were people who come up to the cross and they said, if you're so-and-so's son, if you're truly the son of God, they still didn't believe whose son he was. They were still doing that at the cross. And so it makes sense that William, the writer here, when he introduces this first line, he talks about what child is this and his identity. I like the two groups that are mentioned. He talks about shepherds, and he talks about angels. You think, you couldn't get any farther apart. Shepherds and angels. One of the oldest jobs in the Bible, and one of the most recognized, you want to call it, jobs in, in all the Bible. And here they are, put side by side, angels and shepherds. And the first verse says this, whom angels greet with anthem sweet, while shepherds watch our keeping. I thought, I like the use of the angels and the shepherds. You want to know why? Because angels can't be saved, no matter what. I wonder what you would do tonight if you found out that for some reason there was absolutely no chance you could be saved. No chance. If you came up to me after the meeting and I said to you, I, I've, I've gone through the whole Bible, I, I don't think it's possible for you to be saved. Would it, would it change your outlook tomorrow? A lot, of, a lot of people here, I think, probably go through the day tomorrow and just figure, one day it'll happen. Like, I'll, I'll get saved. One day it's going to happen. I don't know what day that is, but I know it's possible. You know, no angel ever thought that. There are tens upon tens upon tens of millions of angels in hell tonight because of one sin. You want to know why? Because Christ never died for an angel. Never. You think, that's man. And yet angels, sometimes you think about, about uh, how, how humble they were. They came to tell individuals about a Savior that, you know what? He was not able to save angels. Angels, if they did anything wrong, it was all over. And yet here was this group, angels, meeting him, greeting him as he entered the world because they were so excited that here was a Savior who could save, not angels, but humans. Because the Lord Jesus Christ didn't become an angel. He became a human being in order to save us. I think of shepherds. Those shepherds that were out taking care of sheep, and this might be a little clue that Christmas maybe shouldn't be on December 25th, but maybe closer to like the end of March, because usually taking care of sheep was there. But, but shepherds, because of their job, they could, they could never go into a temple. They could never be inside of what we would call a, a religious building back then. They, they, they couldn't. If, if they were close to the animals, they had to wait so long, a period of time, before they could ever come close. And you say, who could be excluded? Imagine standing at the door tonight and having someone come to the door and me asking them, what do you do for work? And when they told me, I said, no, you can go watch it tomorrow on YouTube. Just leave, right? You say, no, we would never do that. But here are the two groups that are mentioned in our carol. One, one group never could be saved. If they did anything wrong, there was no salvation for them. The other group, because of what they did, they could, they could never go into this temple. They could, they could never get close to God unless they had to wait a certain period of time. 
And yet, how fantastic that the Lord Jesus is born, and these are the two groups that come to meet him. How about you? When you look at this child, and we think about what happened here in Bethlehem, and the groups that are there, would it change for you if you knew no salvation? Does it mean anything to you that there is salvation for you tonight? Not only that, but would it make any difference if you thought, what if I've done something? Something that has separated me from God. These shepherds, they, they took care of animals. And just because of what was written in the Old Testament, they couldn't come into the temple for such a long period of time. But maybe you've done something. You think, oh, it's kept me separated from God. But yet, shepherds are right there. They're invited right to where Christ is. No, they didn't have to wait. They didn't have to wait hours or days. They were invited right to where he was. These two groups. And so when we look at this who... It's remarkable that, that this child, sometimes we say God became a man, but no, God became, God became an infant, a baby. More than that, God became a, 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 an infant in the womb. This was the almighty God that these shepherds and these angels were there to visit, were there to greet, and, and to see. And I think of this who... And I ask myself, who else? Who else could be saved? Who else could know their sins forgiven? These two groups show us the extremes in life of, of people who think they're not clean enough and other individuals who think that there's no salvation for them. And yet the Lord Jesus Christ came in order for individuals to know, for young kids to know, that you know what? It doesn't matter what I've done. There is salvation offered. And yet, like our chorus says, haste, hurry, hurry. Now is the day of salvation. Think of our second law stanza here, and it speaks about this why, this why. And it says, why, why is he in this mean estate? I know that's a, a, tough, a tough phrase to get around, but why is he in this awful setting, this awful place? How did he get to where, where this place is? If you think about the Lord Jesus' life, you know, a lot of those buildings back then, they had three levels. They had an upper room, they had a main level, and then they had a place underneath that we would call like a garage. That was where animals were kept. Remember at the end of his life, at the end of his life, when they go to celebrate the Passover, they ask, just put us in the main room. And there's a man who says, no, he goes, I'll bring you upstairs to the, to the top room, the best room. At the end of his life, they gave him one of the best rooms. But when he came into the world, you know, Joseph and Mary, they said, just, just let us stay in the inn. They said, no, no, you go down to the garage. You go right down to where the animals are. Sometimes, you know what happens? We see so many mangers, and they look better than our houses do. And we think it was just such a nice thing, straw and animals. Sometimes, you think about some children who are born, and you know what, they're no home. Uh, maybe it's maybe it's some place you'd say you would do anything just to get out of it. The way you would feel, the coldness, uh, the grime, places where you think no one should have to live there, and that's where Christ was born. It was a very famous man, um, G.K. Chesterton. He said he said this reminds us that every Christmas we should remember one who was homeless and be able to celebrate that in our homes. And to know just the tremendous stoop that he took 
that he came to where we were. He came to this place, this mean estate, as our, our Christmas carol says. And that he, he came to where sinners were, as we read here. In other words, those famous verses in the Bible uh, that are mentioned in Matthew and Luke. I think in Matthew 8. And it says there that the foxes, they, they have holes. And the birds, they have nests. It says the Son of Man has nowhere to, to lay his head. And, and, and it talks about this where. That he had nowhere to lay down his head. Nowhere to call home. And he came to where we were and the door was closed. And he came here, and this is the question that, that is posed to us in this second stanza. Why? Why do that? It's very interesting when it says that he had nowhere to lay his head. That little term, lay his head, you know, you, you never read about it in all the Gospels until right at the end. And when the Lord Jesus is on the cross, it says that after he had commended his spirit into the hands of his Father, he laid down his head. Very interesting to think that he had no home in 33 years, but the only place he ever found to lay down his head was on the cross. Why? Why? Why, why, why is that? Why, why is it that he came and was homeless at his birth? Why is it that when he left this world, he had no place to call home? Why is that? I think in many ways, if you were to appreciate this tonight, that a lot of us think we just want to have a better home here, and so that's why Christ is not important. We just want what we have now to be better. But the Lord Jesus didn't come to make this world a better place. He came in order that you might know that there's something far greater than this world. Far greater than this place. And so here in this second stanza, why? And the chorus says, the nail, the spear, the cross he bore for you, for me. This is why, and it's mentioned here, as the reason why. The silent word is pleading. That's what the hymn writer or the carol writer has said. This silent word is pleading that you might realize that in Scripture here is the evidence that what he did was not in order to make our situation better, but in order to take the sin from our soul that we might have a future forever with him. And so the second verse is why the last one here that we come to says this, Peasants and kings. I thought, what a unique group that's brought together here. The what? And it talks about the fact that salvation. Come peasant king to own him. The king of kings salvation brings. That loving hearts enthrone him. I thought, here it is. The one thing that could satisfy anyone and everyone. This salvation that's offered. This salvation that comes and is presented here at the end of this carol, this salvation that is, that is offered, and it goes everyone from the highest, the king, right down to the peasant, from, from the guy who has the most money and the most power to the least significant individual. And it, it runs the whole span from king to peasant and says, here it is, salvation. Salvation offered to anyone and to everyone who would want this? And so in that carol, is so nicely wrapped up, all these opposites and all these questions that are all answered in one man. And the way that that chorus comes across and said, this, this is Christ. You know, the reason that people aren't saved is because they have a wrong, they have the wrong Christ. They have, they have the wrong person. 
A lot when the shepherds come and said, "What child is this?" There are so many people, and the reason that they don't have salvation is because they don't understand who they are, or they don't understand who he is. And so here, both things are addressed in this carol. That sinners who are in need of a savior are introduced to this Christ, this Christ who humbled himself and came and was born in the manger, this Christ who took nails and a spear and went to a cross, this Christ who is a king, this Christ who did all this in order that we could be brought back to God. And so, as we said in the opening, the verses that we read in Isaiah, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. This carol tells us all about the son that was given, of the, the silent word, the, 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 the one who was made flesh, the, the God of heaven who be, became a child. And we said, never has anything spoken so loud, like the carol says. It's a silent word, a silent word that now speaks and it pleads, it pleads, it begs sinners if only they would recognize what was done for them. I was thinking of another kind of famous Christmas song that has maybe not similar lines to this, but it, but it also asks questions. It asks questions and maybe it's more modern than, than the one we uh, spoke and sung tonight here in What Child Is This? And I always enjoyed the words that were in the chorus. And it said this, How many kings stepped down from their throne? How many lords abandoned their home? How many greats became the least for me? How many gods have poured out their hearts to romance a world that is all torn apart? How many fathers gave their sons for me? How many? How many did that for you? Everyone in the meeting tonight would say only one. Only one. Only one. So I ask you, as you've got Bibles open in front of you, as you've had verses spoken to you, as you've heard a carol that asks questions, if there's only one solution to your problem, if there's only one answer, how is it that you could continue and not believe the answer? How could you go on? A lot of us, you know what happens in life? You say, I'm just not sure. I'm not sure what car to buy. And so I can't make a decision tonight. Even for me, I don't know what carol I'm going to speak, speak on on Wednesday night. i got to make a decision Wednesday. I've got it down to about two. Maybe tomorrow I'll say, what car are we going to take tomorrow? I'm just not sure. Uh, maybe tomorrow at work uh, I'll, I'll go in and I'll think, you know, what... what what am I going to do? Which jobs am I going to do tomorrow? I'm just not sure. I still have to make a decision and pick between two. You ever have to do that? You say, I don't know. Uh, for Christmas, my parents said I can have this or this. And I have to eventually tell them I want one or the other. And you say, uh, just really, as you get closer to the deadline, it gets, it gets, there's pressure because you've got to give an answer for that decision, and you're just, you know, I don't know, I don't know which one's better. This gift or that gift? This song or that song? Where should I want to go for a Christmas break? This place or that place? And you do all the research, and you, you bring it all together, and you try to make the best decision. When it comes to the salvation of your soul, tell me, is there anyone else who can do it? 
Is there anyone else who has given his life in order that you might have everlasting life? And you say no. So then I say, is it really a decision or is it just you rejecting? Is it a decision tonight? Or is it you just rejecting this son from being your Savior? Because if it was a decision tonight, then please tell me, who else, who else are you deciding between? Jesus Christ and who else? Who else? Because just as the questions are asked in this carol, what child? Why? Why did he do this? What do you have to gain? If it was a decision tonight, my heart would go out to you. But I look at an audience this evening, and it's not a decision. If you leave this meeting tonight, and you can't go to bed tonight knowing your sin's forgiven, it will not be because you couldn't make up your mind. It will be because there's something else that you think is worth more having. Just like the Lord Jesus asked, what do you want? There's something you want more than Christ. God help every one of us tonight to realize that because of what we have, sin, and what we need forgiveness, of what he did, Calvary, and what we gain, everlasting life, to realize to want anything else is so foolish, so foolish. And yet this evening, what's offered to you is a son that was given, and it's guaranteed tonight. Guaranteed to satisfy. Whether you're a king tonight, whether you're the poorest man in Brookfield, guaranteed to satisfy. This son who gave everything for you, and he would do it all over again, even if you rejected him this evening. That's the amazing part of this story, is that he would do it irregardless of your decision tonight. But angels, angels, like I said last night, they wait to see if anyone here and in other places tonight decides to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior based upon what the Scriptures tell us and the answers that we receive in God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll close in a word of prayer. Our Father, we give thanks once again for your Son and our Savior. We're thankful this evening uh, that by the grace of God we found uh, a time in our lives where your spirit brought to our attention all the wrong and all the things that were, were so evil within our hearts. We're thankful, Lord, that we didn't try to solve the problem in our own efforts, but instead we're thankful that the scriptures presented us with a man who bore our sins in his own body on the tree. And so our carol tonight that asks, who is this? What child is this? Thankful, Lord, that we didn't need the help of angels or of shepherds, but instead the scriptures, which we've known since we were children, so adequately tell us over and over again that this is God's Son who loved us and gave himself for us. We pray, Lord, that you would once again uh, bring us home safely and that what has been spoken on tonight, what has been read from scripture, what has been sung about, uh, would be used by the God of heaven in the salvation of precious souls. This we ask in your Son's name, the Lord Jesus. Amen. So remember, tomorrow night we're going to sing the carol that we're going to talk about tomorrow night.
and that is found on page number two. Page number two, and that is probably the most famous of Christmas carols. I think that's a, a safe uh, assumption to make, and that is Silent Night. And we have three verses here of Silent Night. Um, this uh, Christmas carol that is over 200 years old, and we'll sing all three verses tonight before we go home uh, in anticipation, Lord willing, of speaking about this tomorrow evening, Tuesday evening. So the verse says, Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. Round, young virgin, mother and child, holy infant, so tender and mild. Sleep in heavenly peace. Sleep in heavenly peace. We'll sing this whole carol uh, found on page number two, Silent Night. Silent Night 